Welcome to the Nick State of Mind podcast. I'm your host, Danny Small. We're doing a little something different this week, a little something non-Knicks related, but uh, Nick's rival. We have your own Weitzman of Bleacher Report, who just wrote Tanking to the Top. It's about the Philadelphia Sixers, 76ers and uh, kind of their audacious process to go from being essentially the worst team in the league and tanking as much as they can to where they are now with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. So we've got Yaron on here today. Yaron, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. As you can hear also drilling in my part. I apologize to all <laughs> listeners who uh, hear that, right? New York City. So you have drilling outside and I can't escape it anywhere. So Yeah, no, it is what it is, but, uh, but we'll get through it. And uh, definitely excited to have you on today. Uh, I've gotten through the book so far. I'm I got a, a couple more chapters left, but I'm I'm pretty much through the whole thing, and it's excellent so far. Wow, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, this is like a pretty, pretty, uh, like in, I'd say, unique story in terms of the NBA because we've seen tanking, uh, we've seen teams, you know, try and lose for maybe a season, but we never really saw it quite like you know the the Sixers tried to pull off with Sam Hankey. Um, but before we kind of get into all the, the nitty gritty and some of the palace intrigue, uh, just I want to start off with what like what was there like a moment when you realized that this was the book you wanted to write? Or was it something that kind of happened over time? Because I know, you know, I've been actually I've read like a few Jeff Perlman books recently. And those are like the ones I've read. Those are, you know, the 80s Lakers or the USFL. Yep. It's like older books. This is something where, you know, the, the end of the story hasn't necessarily been written yet. Um, no, that's fair. Right. I probably, to be honest, I probably like, I mean, I'm happy I did it. I probably wrote this book too fast. Right. Like somebody, somebody 10 years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, will do this story again and it will be complete. Right. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like Another book on the process will be written. So for sure. Um, for me, there's no magical moment. I was the short answer, Cliff Notes version is that I was covering them for Bleach Report, the Sixers during the playoffs. Um, I always forget. I guess it was the 2017, 2018, whatever that first season was. When I guess it was Simmons' is a rookie mm-hmm. year, um, or first yeah, yeah. His, rookie, his rookie season, second year in the NBA. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was covering them, and I done. I'm based in New York, right? And I had kind of been going to Philly a little more because I needed a basketball team to write about that didn't stink between the Knicks and the Nets, um, <laughs> yep. which is true, which is the truth, that's right? Um, yeah, yeah. That's so fair. I, I kind of started being around Sixers a little bit in the playoff series. I was on, I remember I was on the Amtrak back and was like, oh, you know, even if you grow up wanting to be a sports writer, it's like, oh, I, I kind of always want to write a book that I'm thinking, oh, this mm-hmm. seems like a good idea. Um, I didn't see anyone else doing it, which I turned out to be very wrong about, but that's a separate question. Um, or separate topic. Um, so, yeah, it's like, no, it's it's not exactly a sexy story, but thought, oh, this could be a good book. I always want to do it. There's a story here. Let me send this few texts, see if this is something that people who know more than me think it uh, could work and all that. And the answer was yes. So that summer, not to, I mean, we can get into the writing nitty gritty. I don't know if anyone really cares. But just, you know, that summer I spent to spend a few months working on the proposal that gets pitched by an agent to publishing houses. And from there you get a book. 
deal, and you uh, kind of go from there. So that's the short version. Okay. Yeah. No. That. <clears throat> yeah. That. Uh, that was always something that that kind of intrigued me, just because, um, you know, like you said, this this story is still kind of ongoing, and I know the Sixers. Uh, I know you mentioned kind of, especially in the beginning of the book with Hinky, but just overall that the Sixers uh, weren't necessarily like open to you know to talking with you and and yeah, uh, you know kind of getting into this stuff with the book so just curious like how that how tough that was for you to kind of overcome to get you know to get into all these details and everything like that when you know the team you're covering and then you know one of the main players hinky they were you know pretty hesitant to to give you anything so yeah i mean definitely it makes it harder right like the easiest way to write this book is if i say okay sam hinky you'll meet with me for four hours done brett brown four hours mm-hmm. done joel Embiid, four hours done right and that's easier um it turns out like i actually think the best you know looking back what it, i benefited some because it forces you to go digging and looking in other areas mm-hmm. for the information and getting the full story and not just versions that people are now, I'm not going to – when I say they're sharing with you as if they're lying, it's not that people lie. It's that everybody has their own perspectives on things, right? Sometimes people mm. lie, especially yeah. especially powerful people. But sometimes it's just, no, this is how they saw it, right? And you need a kind of the way the way you put a story together. I mean any story, but a story like this is you try to talk to as many different people as possible and try to put together the closest or most accurate version that uh, that you can that, – that's that what, what the truth appears to be to you. Um so had like so had I got an easy access, I probably don't go digging because you're on a deadline and it's just easy. Um, and I probably miss out on a lot of details that I ended up getting. Probably the best way for something like this to happen is for people to say no, no, no. You go digging, and at the end, then they speak to you, so you get that part. I didn't get that part. I still think uh, my story is accurate and fair and all that. But uh, it definitely, yeah. If you're asking, it did it make it hard? Yeah, for sure. Right, my life was uh, my life could have been much easier the past year mm. or whatever the year I was writing this book, the 18 months. Um, it could have been much easier than it ended up being. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely because um, you open up kind of talking about Hinky, who you know he's such a fascinating guy. You know, in terms of you know this entire process, you know, it started with him, then they moved on from him. So I, I can imagine how difficult it was to kind of uh, piece all that stuff together without, you know, without having him there. Um, and then you, you kind of mentioned Brett Brown a little bit before. And I don't know, maybe I'm um, because um, there's, you know, there's so much good stuff about Embiid and Simmons in here. But maybe I'm just like a, a, a basketball coaching nerd type because the Brett Brown chapter to me, that kind of that really stuck out, you know, kind of hearing about his background in Maine with his father, you know, his tough coach. He goes and he, you know, he plays at, uh, was it BU? Yeah. So I, I was very interested in kind of his, his come up to where he was and then kind of transitioning more into like the now with Brett Brown. Um, like I, was this, was, was he somebody, did you expect him to kind of like stick around this long? Cause I, I, I know in the beginning it, it kind of felt like they, they, pegged him as the guy to kind of get him through the rebuild and then eventually everyone just kind of figured a new guy would kind of take over um but you know lo and behold brett brown is still there he's still coaching through you know so so many bad years is that something that that kind of surprised you that he made it this far looking back um yes and no right the short the the, yes like we just saw with the nets right usually the guys who get hired Mm -hmm, to the rebuild they just they just don't survive 
the the it's phase two, whatever you want to call it, right? Whether fair mm-hmm. or not, right? It just it just doesn't happen often. And you know, I I think I quote somebody in the book saying, you know, Sam Hinkie had told them, you know, Brett's the perfect coach to get us through this first phase. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone ex- if I I honestly do not know whether Sam expected him to be around by the time they were contending. Whether he thought, I actually don't know. We'll see, right? I don't I do not know the answer to that. Um, the no part is I think what's helped Brett, at least until this point, and you know he is on the hot seat. It does, uh, it does seem like mm-hmm. they're going to have to go a little deeper this year. Um, but what's helped him is all the turmoil and upheaval around him. I think sometimes you just, you know, you need a consistent voice often, um, and he was sort of that guy. Like Brian, like Brian, the whole um, the Burnergate thing probably helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like you're not gonna. You're not going to change your coach when you just go through all that nonsense with your GM or I guess I should say his wife mm-hmm. or whatever, right? When, you're up, when your front office is in, yeah. up, is being up, um, turned you, over like that, yeah, right? Yeah, you kind of – you need someone kind of steady and steady and kind of knows knows the building a little bit to keep things headed in the right direction, I guess. Correct, yeah. So, so yeah, and I mean Brett – he both he both gets a raw deal and also gets a pass on a lot of things. It's interesting, right? Which is I find a lot what happens in mm-hmm. I mean that's all sports and all media, but you know, and I'm I'm proud of what I wrote about Brett because I think I think he's done a he he's he's he knows how to work the media, and I don't mean that as a negative. I mean that's a positive, right? He knows how to be mm-hmm. give long answers and be friendly, and he's good at it. And I I think it's genuine. But there's also a side behind him that he there's a you know kind of a. Uh, I'm not going to say angrier, a more um, intense side to him, I should say, that, you know, comes out mm-hmm. in the background. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do think there's a it's it's part, you know, the, the 3D version of Brett has kind of been it's not something that's shown often. And I do think I uh, if I may pat myself on the back a little bit, I think that comes through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think you you kind of get into a little bit more than, you know, what what you see in the post game, pregame scrums, things like that. Um, I thought the Brett Brown section was interesting, and you you kind of brought it up a little bit there. But the Kenny Atkinson, uh, I guess I don't know if we call it firing or mutually parting ways, whatever whatever they're calling it. The Nets that was kind of something that that I thought about, where you know you have this coach who brings a team through like you know the worst parts of the rebuild, and then he makes it to you know you said phase two, and it doesn't work out. I I guess I guess. I, I obviously, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of like yes and no for Brett Brown because he, I don't know if I expected him to make it through, you know, those, you know, whatever 15 win seasons or, or whatever, however bad they were doing. But now when you look at it, I mean, you know, last year they had the Jimmy Butler trade and they, they, cha- they kind of changed course a little bit after that going into this season with Al Horford. So it's like there's been enough changes around the Sixers to justify you know, keeping him around. And I think he's definitely on the hot seat now, but it's, it's kind of interesting how long he survived to rebuild to me. Yeah, for sure. Again, I'm repeating like the Nets thing is a part where, you know, we're taping this on Monday. Mm-hmm. Kenny Atkinson was just fired, right? That's the perfect example. Like yeah. that, like, you don't get a more perfect example of that, of rebuild. The, the Nets had their own process like thing, right? They rebuild and young players and player mm-hmm. development. And everybody loves Kenny Atkinson. He does a great job. They make the playoffs last year. And when you hit that next, phase it just again i don't know you know some of the reporting's coming out on that whatever um it's just these guys for whatever reason these coaches don't often survive uh for survive that survive that part yeah and you know i guess we'll transition a little bit um from the nets to the knicks here 
obviously the Knicks have tanked before. I mean, we saw it last year. They they pretty much went in the tank hoping they could get Zion, uh, which didn't obviously come to fruition because the new the new um, uh, the new lottery rules like kind of put them the Knicks behind the eight ball a little bit with that. But is this something? Do you? I mean, even like a a little bit more of like a watered down process. Do you think that that's something that Knicks fans would ever be able to? I guess, d- stomach or digest, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I grew up in New York. I'm from New York. I always thought that whole thing was laughable, um, the whole idea that Nick, that you can't rebuild. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the Knicks, they, the Knicks have stung for 20 years without a plan, right? I think I think fans are smart. Mm-hmm. And, and this is not like a Knicks fans, the smartest fans. I think, honestly, most fans, like you always find the outliers, but I think most fans are smart enough to, if you pitch them an actual plan and you stick to it and there's logic and common sense to the plan, um, and rationale behind it, I think most fans will buy it. So yeah, New York and maybe hard, maybe like the post goes after you a little bit for losing, and that becomes a little mm-hmm. difficult. But honestly, I think, yeah, I think I think fans would be happy. I mean, I always laugh like Knicks fans have who nobody latches on to the random second rounder more than Knicks fans. Like I remember, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was in college. Yeah. <laughs> Was the guy's name Frank Williams, that point guard who was not good? Like, there's this random guy. He, I don't know why I'm bringing him up, but there's always a random guy who, um, who the random, you know, second rounder, or like, whether it's Frank Nilakina or whoever, like draft pick mm-hmm. or prospect X, or guys think is going to be really good and they latch onto. Um, and, and it's just, I mean, well, who's the last? It was Charlie Ward, the last Knicks draft pick to get an extension. Um, I th- yeah, yeah, I, th- I think Charlie Ward was was it first which, round pick, right? The last yeah, that's saying first, something. Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, so, uh, yeah, I think Knicks fans would take it in a heartbeat, right? I think, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think at this point they, they, they would kind of have to. Uh, it's been, I mean, it, they obviously, they had that year with Mello where, you know, a couple of years they make the playoffs, one year they advance. But other than that, the last 20 years, I mean, it's like they, you know, if they just went all in on a kind of Sixers-ish plan when the lottery odds worked, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're sitting here with, a Ben Simmons or a Joel Embiid. Um, and I think, I always think about that, that uh, was, is like the fan, the season ticket holders where Steve Mills, Fizdale and Scott Perry were there. And Steve Mills said something along the lines of, you know, if you have a plan, the fans will be patient. The fans will, you know, will be fine with it. But it just, it, to me, the plan kind of went, went south a little bit when they didn't get Zion that was like kind of a gut punch. And then obviously you whiff in free agency and it's like they did kind of have a plan, but it just wasn't necessarily the right plan. Yeah, it turned out that they were, you know, like it's funny. I was I'm working on a story for something else and I was rewatching the Fisdale press conference for something not related. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they were saying all the right things, you know, plan, sustainable, cult, mm-hmm. uh, sustainable, follow, you know, no rush. But it turned out their plan was uh, hope Kevin Durant signs with us and that's going to be all invested. And if we don't, we're mm-hmm. fine. Uh, sorry if I can I curse. I don't know if I can curse here. Um, yeah, no, you can curse. Uh, okay. Good. <laughs> um, so, and I don't know if that's what they meant the whole time by plan. If they changed their mind because they thought they had a legitimate shot at Durant, and they figured, rightfully so, in a way, right to a point, if you have a shot at Durant, you go for it, right? That's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
But no, it kind of seemed like so. Yeah, so I don't know if somewhere along the line the plan changed, or that was the plan all along. The free, you know, the long term sustainability, mm-hmm. the slow build meant really just two years, and that was it, right? <laughs> which is not the, which is not yeah. long term <laughs> means. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't even know. I don't remember what the question is, but I agree. Yeah, they, Mills knew he he was saying all the right things. I just don't know if he was misapplying them or if he was just putting on a good face. I, that I don't know. Yeah, I think. I think they definitely were saying the right things, but obviously where the Knicks are right at this moment in time, clearly things didn't go well. Um, and kind of transitioning, we, you mentioned, you know, how Knicks fans like to latch on to these second round picks and stuff like that. And I know they're, they're, they're different players because Embiid is a back to the basket guy and Mitchell Robinson is more of, you know, like a, just a straight up rim runner, rim protector type. Um, but did you have you noticed any kind of similarities between? I know Embiid was a high pick, Mitchell Robinson fell, but similarities between kind of how Embiid came into the league because you know he wasn't exactly this confident and this you know brash as he is now when he first came in. He was a little more mild mannered, and I think there I, I've noticed at least some similarities in how you know Mitchell Robinson is kind of coming out of his shell now. Uh, now in year two, after you know when he came into the league, he was people thought he was just, you know, the the quietest, you know, like least charisma out of anyone. And now he's kind of coming out of his shell as well. Um, that's interesting. So you think there's similarities in terms of like their personalities? A little bit. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're different because I don't think Mitch is like as brash as Joel because, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to be that much of like a larger than life figure. But I've no, I just, I've noticed like Mitchell this year is he's, He's more vocal. He's he's more like kind of I don't know goofy in the locker room at times and things like that. I feel like he's kind of, and I don't even know if this is even a good comparison, but I just feel like he's kind of you know coming out of his shell this year in a way that you know we kind of saw Joel do as you know the process started kicking up and you know he and Simmons started having some success. It's interesting. So the thing about Joel, so a couple things. He was the brashness kind of came out in. And like, and I, I kind of trace this in the book a little bit. Like, it was slow. It came out. I want to say, you know, towards the end of college when he was in Kansas. Um, mm-hmm. and the, there's the, you mentioned the Cleveland Caps. That workout was one one instance I noticed. Um, yeah, he was talking right when trash. He was, he was kind of hitting those threes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking trash to David Griffin. Like, you know, hit a three, Griff. You need mm-hmm. me. Um, hits another yeah, one. Yeah. How, how can I not be number one? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things, stories mm-hmm. in the book. Um, so a couple. So, but Embiid, it's funny, right? So Embiid's an introvert. A lot of people don't know this because he posts on it. But I guess it's very, it's very twenty first, twenty twenty. I'll say, is he a millennial? I don't know whatever the proper term is, right? You can, you can be both an introvert. Yeah. yeah it's, so it's introverted, like. The, the personality comes through on social media, right? Like people think because he posts mm-hmm. funny things on Instagram that he's this gregarious, outgoing person, and he's not. And obviously, he'll shimmy a little bit during games and things like that. But he is a bit of an introvert. It's um, which that's part of the one of the issues with him and Simmons. They're both kind of like that. Um, he's mm-hmm. a bit of an introvert. The other thing is, I'm gonna try to say this. See how I'll say this as a I'll compliment Embiid instead of uh, saying anything about Robinson. Embiid is a genius. Like there's something. He's a basketball genius in terms of the way he was able to pick up the game fast. He learned the game when he was I think 15. He first started um, the footwork, the way he mm-hmm. can absorb the game, the way he just in general. I mean, he's funny in his not in a second language. Like if you say it, like that's so hard to do to be funny in a language mm-hmm. of native tongue. Um, there are different things there that um, I'll say I do not believe exists within Mitchell Robinson. Um, and I guess I'll put it that. Um, I think that's, 
Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> so yeah, it's like a different. It's a. It's there. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're both big men. I see what you're saying. Yeah, the Mitchell's a little goofy. Um, the goofiness, though, um, I'd say that's more of a natural personality, and I would say probably it would be. There's there goofy. Goofy is good to a certain extent. You have to mix that with seriousness too. And I guess we'll see if where Mitchell comes on that. We'll still see. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair, and that's you know just kind of one of the things that that was popping my head because I know they've had a couple battles you know recently. Obviously, Embiid is the better player right now, but I remember after I think it was after one game his rookie year, Embiid was you know basically saying like, oh, he's he's just everywhere. You know, he's so long and. I just uh, that's one that's one you know I've I've kind of kept an eye on those two going at each other. Uh, so transitioning back, I think a little more to the Sixers here. I mentioned earlier that you know this story is not really written, but do you think that this team is ever going to get over the top with? And it, uh, like obviously, it doesn't need to be this year, but with you know Embiid and Simmons as the, their two guys, do you think they're ever going to make it over the top? And actually make an NBA Finals, win a, a title. Um, before the year, I thought they would make it this year. I was wrong. The roster is a mess this year in terms of the Horford mm-hmm. thing. They overpaid Tobias, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Harris. Um, it's funny. One of the things that disappoints me most about the Sixers this year is it's like the Horford thing's been such a mess, and and the way they built the roster. Um, it's almost like it's take it's robbed us of our ability to talk about do, and the Simmons and Bead fit, which I find fascinating on court mm-hmm. and it's a fascinating discussion because those two are so far and away the best things on the Sixers and the things that work. It's like we're not even at the level where we can discuss do those two work, right? First, there are 10 other things that have to be fixed mm-hmm. before we get there. Um, so I guess that didn't really answer your question. I mean, what I before this year I would have said yes. I don't know. I'm curious to see. Like I'm not report. Like I, th- I think they're gonna have to trade Al Horford in the offseason. And what are they gonna get with that? And what's their flexibility gonna be like? Mm-hmm. Like the numbers with Simmons and Embiid are fascinating because in the regular season, the two of them on the like it doesn't. We know why. There are good basketball reasons why it doesn't work. Um, why they don't fit. And yet the numbers when the two of them share the court, I think it's usually like the past two years before the season, it was like 12 and a half points per hundred possessions better than opponents. Um, mm-hmm. but then we're always gonna run into the same thing in the second round right where can like what are you going to do when you have two guys who are not major shooters like can ben simmons be a weapon in the second round we've seen two years in a row he was not um yeah so if you're asking me to bet uh i don't know that's a good one i'd i'd bet i guess i'd, I'd i'll lean towards yes how about that i'll lean towards they make a they, those two make a finals um but okay. i'm not, yeah. not confident saying that it's tough um and and they're yeah they're gonna have to mess they're gonna have to do change some things this offseason um whether it's Horford, whether it's trying to find some difference with Tobias Harris, um, who's not, you know, he's he's a really good player, really good guy. He's just, it's not his fault, but he's just not a max player, right? That's just not him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see what they do this offseason. I'm very curious. Yeah, I think I, I think in the beginning of the year, I I forget my what whatever my exact predictions were or whatever, but I think I had them losing in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Bucks, yeah. but. The, I I had much higher expectations for them this year, you know, than than they've kind of met. And obviously, there you know a lot of reasons for it, you know, the injuries here and there, things like that. But I think you know you you touch on the uh, the Al Horford move, which a lot of people thought was going to be you know kind of the move to to take into the next level, has backfired in a huge huge way. Yeah, uh, kind of lo- losing JJ Redick is another big one. You know, you lose your best three point shooter. That's that's not going to help when you have two guys who you know, are not necessarily, well, Ben Simmons, definitely not a three point shooter and Embiid 
you know, not exactly the most uh, the most efficient in that regard. So I think if I'm, I'm I probably would lean towards yes with you just because I've I've always been really high on Ben Simmons. And I think I think just with those two guys, it, it's got it's got to work at some point. But it, I don't think it's going to work as they're currently constituted right now. Yep, I would agree. I would agree. Right, the Reddick parts. Yeah, that was not only was shooting, but he, they're like the main, the primary weapon in their half court offense. The primary set basically was where it was a two man game with him and Embiid. Right, it was mm-hmm. not even like yeah, those dribble, a, those dribble handoffs. Yeah, right. There's a spacing part of it, but it's not even that. It's that that was their go to. Like that was their that was their that was their version of whatever I don't know. Team X's pick and roll. Right, like that was their version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that they would go to and. uh and then obviously the Butler pick and roll also. Yeah, no, they lost. They uh, they essentially made the bet that they were better off with Horford, Josh Richardson instead of um, instead of Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick. And I think it's fair to say that was a, a wrong the wrong bet. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of not. I don't really have a question for you here, but I'm just gonna kind of leave the floor out or open the floor for you. If you have any kind of, you know, like final thoughts you want to put out there on the book and, you know, kind of the writing process and really anything kind of open ended. If you have any final thoughts, because uh, we'll let you get out of here. We don't want to keep you too long. Um, but, yeah, not really a question there for you. No, I appreciate it. I guess I don't know. I'll say I think it's uh, it's a book. If I, if I may say so myself, I think it's a I think it's a decent book. No, I think it's good. I uh, I'm proud of what I did. I spoke to a lot of people for it. Um I think it's a good one of the things I hear. Here's what I'll say. One of the things that I learned from reporting this book is how little so many of us know about what actually is going on behind the scenes in the NBA. Um, And a lot of the machinations and reasonings and motives behind decisions um, that we think we know, but we don't. And I think I unpack some of those. I think it's just if you're interested you know, because I guess this is a mixed New York-based podcast, right? But I think you don't have to be a Sixers fan mm-hmm. to, appreciate, to appreciate the stories in here um, and and the whys and what. I think if you're interested in how team building works, how politics work in the NBA, how how stars can influence a franchise, how owners operate, how the league office thinks, um, I like to think I did a pretty good good job of illustrating that. And I think if you're uh, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, you'll uh, you'll enjoy. Yeah, no, I, I I can I can vouch for you as someone who uh, who covers the Knicks and someone whose whose brain is broken by the Knicks. So like I I'm constantly <laughs> I'm constantly anything that happens in the NBA, I like somehow my brain figures out a way to relate it back to the Knicks. I think there's definitely like a lot of stuff that Knicks fans would find you know intriguing about this book. Just you know, kind of we've touched on it. How long the Knicks have been rebuilding? How you know they've tanked in the past, but not quite to that extent. I think there's definitely a lot of stuff in this book that Knicks fans would find interesting. And I really appreciate you coming on your own. Uh, guys, listeners, you can check them out on Bleacher Report. Um, the book, it comes out March 17th, right? So Correct, March 17th, uh, but available yep. now for pre-sale. Pre- pre-order, yep. yep. If you yeah. check out, so we'll, you check out uh, my Twitter, yeah, or you'll share it, I guess, where you can uh, pretty much wherever books are sold, you can pre-order it or go buy the hard thing when it comes out on uh, March seventeenth. Yep, yeah, I was gonna say we'll uh, we'll we'll include a link in the uh, in the story we'll post on this. Uh, we'll include a link in the tw- in the Twitter and everything, all that good stuff. Uh, so again, thanks. I appreciate you coming on today, your own. It was uh, I, I really, I really did love the book, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward. Hopefully, some of our listeners grabbing it and checking it out as well. No, it means a lot, truly. I appreciate it. Thank you.